Chapter Eleven of La Bar by Jory Karl Heismans, translated by Keen Wallace. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Contrary to his expectations, he slept all night with clenched fists and woke next morning quite calm, even gay. The scene of the night before, which ought to have exacerbated his senses, produced exactly the opposite effect. The truth is that Durtal was not one of those who are attracted by difficulties he always made one hardy effort to surmount them then when that failed he would withdraw with no desire to renew the combat if madame chanteloube thought to entice him by delays she had miscalculated this morning already he was weary of the comedy his reflections began to be slightly tinged with bitterness he was angry at the woman for having wished to keep him in suspense and he was angry at himself for having permitted her to make a fool of him then certain expressions the impertinence of which had not struck him at first chilled him now her nervous trick of laughing which sometimes caught her in public places then her declaration that she did not need his permission nor even his person in order to possess him seemed to him unbecoming to say the least and uncalled for as he had not run after her nor indeed made any advances to her at all i will fix you he said when i get some hold over you but in the calm awakening of this morning the spell of the woman had relaxed resolutely he thought keep two dates with her this one tonight at her house it won't count because nothing can be done for i intend neither to allow myself to be assaulted nor to attempt an assault i certainly have no desire to be caught by chanteloube in flagrante delicto and probably get into a shooting scrape and be hailed into police court have her here once if she does not yield then why the matter is closed she can go and tickle somebody else and he made a hearty breakfast and sat down to his writing-table and ran over the scattered notes for his book i had got he said glancing at his last chapter to where the alchemic experiments and diabolic evocations have proved unavailing prelati blanchet all the sorcerers and sorcerers helpers whom the marshal has about him admit that to bring satan to him gilles must make over his soul and body to the devil or commit crimes gilles refuses to alienate his existence and sell his soul but he contemplates murder without any horror this man so brave on the battlefield so courageous when he accompanied jeanne d'arc trembles before the devil and is afraid when he thinks of eternity and of christ the same is true of his accomplices he has made them swear on the testament to keep the secret of the confounding turpitudes which the chateau conceals and he can be sure that not one will violate the oath for in the middle ages the most reckless of freebooters would not commit the inexpiable sin of deceiving god at the same time that his alchemists abandon their unfruitful furnaces gilles begins a course of systematic gluttony and his flesh set on fire by the essences of inordinate potations and spiced dishes seethes in tumultuous eruption now there are no women in the chateau gilles appears to have despised the sex ever since leaving the court after experience of the ribalds of the camps and frequentation with Antraille and Lahire of the prostitutes of Charles the Seventh, it seems that a dislike for the feminine form came over him. Like others whose ideal of concupiscence is deteriorated and deviated, he certainly comes to be disgusted by the delicacy of the grain of the skin of women and by that odour of femininity which all sodomists abhor. He depraves the choir boys who are under his authority he chose them in the first place these little sultry ministrants for their beauty and beautiful as angels they are they are the only ones he loves the only ones he spares in his murderous transports 
but soon infantile pollution seems to him an insipid delicacy the law of satanism which demands that the elect of evil once started must go the whole way is once more fulfilled gilles's soul must become thoroughly cankered a red tabernacle that in it the very low may dwell at ease the litanies of lust arise in an atmosphere that is like the wind over a slaughter-house the first victim is a very small boy whose name we do not know gilles disembowels him and cutting off the hands and tearing out the eyes and heart carries these members into prelati's chamber the two men offer them with passionate objurgations to the devil who holds his peace gilles confounded flees prelati rolls up the poor remains in linen and trembling goes out at night to bury them in consecrated ground beside a chapel dedicated to saint vincent gilles preserves the blood of this child to write formulas of evocation and conjurements it manures a horrible crop not long afterward the marshal reaps the most abundant harvest of crimes that has ever been sown from fourteen thirty two to fourteen forty that is to say during the eight years between the marshal's retreat and his death the inhabitants of anjou poitou and Brittany walk the highways wringing their hands all the children disappear shepherd boys are abducted from the fields little girls coming out of school little boys who have gone to play ball in the lanes or at the edge of the wood return no more in the course of an investigation ordered by the duke of Brittany, the scribes of jean touche duke's commissioner in these matters compile interminable lists of lost children lost at la roche bernard the child of the woman peronne a child who did go to school and did apply himself to his book with exceeding diligence lost at saint etienne de montluc the son of guillaume brice and this was a poor man and sought arms lost at machecoul the son of georges le barbier who was seen a certain day knocking apples from a tree behind the hotel rondeau and who since hath not been seen lost at tonnay the child of matelin Touard, and he had been heard to cry and lament and the said child was about twelve years of age at marchecoul again the day of pentecost mother and father sergent leave their eight-year-old boy at home and when they return from the fields they did not find the said child of eight years of age wherefore they marvelled and were exceeding grieved at chanteloup it is pierre badieu mercer of the parish who says that a year or thereabouts ago he saw in the domaine de Ray two little children of the age of nine who were brothers and the children of robin pavot of the aforesaid place and since that time neither have they been seen neither doth any know what hath become of them at nantes it is jeanne d'arel who deposes that on the day of the feast of the holy father her true child named olivier did stray from her being of the age of seven and eight years and since the day of the feast of the holy father neither did she see him nor hear tidings and the account of the investigation goes on revealing hundreds of names describing the grief of the mothers who interrogate passers-by on the highway and telling of the keening of the families from whose very homes children have been spirited away when the elders went to the fields to hoe or to sow the hemp these phrases like a desolate refrain recur again and again at the end of every deposition they were seen complaining dolorously exceedingly they did lament wherever the bloodthirsty gilles dwells the women weep 
at first the frantic people tell themselves that evil fairies and malicious genii are dispersing the generation but little by little terrible suspicions are aroused as soon as the marshal quits a place as he goes from the chateau de tiffauges to the chateau de chantossé and from there to the castle of la suze or to nantes he leaves behind him a wake of tears he traverses a countryside and in the morning children are missing trembling the peasant realizes also that wherever prelati roger de briqueville gilles de sillet any of the marshal's intimates have shown themselves little boys have disappeared finally the peasant learns to look with horror upon an old woman perrine martin who wanders around clad in grey her face covered as is that of gilles de sillet with a black stamen she accosts children and her speech is so seductive her face when she raises her veil so benign that all follow her to the edge of a wood where men carry them off gagged in sacks and the frightened people call this purveyor of flesh this ogress la meffrey from the name of a bird of prey these emissaries spread out covering all the villages and hamlets tracking the children down at the orders of the chief huntsman the sire de briqueville not content with these beaters gilles takes to standing at a window of the chateau and when young mendicants attracted by the renown of his bounty ask an arms he runs an appraising eye over them has any who excite his lust brought in and thrown in an underground prison and kept there until being in appetite he is pleased to order a carnal supper how many children did he disembowel after deflowering them he himself did not know so many were the rapes he had consummated and the murders he had committed the texts of the times enumerate between seven and eight hundred but the estimate is inaccurate and seems over conservative entire regions were devastated the hamlet of tiffauges had no more young men la suze was without male posterity at chantossé the whole foundation room of a tower was filled with corpses a witness cited in the inquest guillaume hilaire declared also that one height du jardin hath heard say that there was found in the said castle a wine-pipe full of dead little children even to-day traces of these assassinations linger two years ago at tiffauges a physician discovered an oubliette and brought forth piles of skulls and bones gilles confessed to frightful holocausts and his friends confirmed the atrocious details at dusk when their senses are phosphorescent enkindled by inflammatory spiced beverages and by high venison gilles and his friends retire to a distant chamber of the chateau the little boys are brought from their cellar prisons to this room they are disrobed and gagged the marshal fondles them and forces them then he hacks them to pieces with a dagger taking great pleasure in slowly dismembering them at other times he slashes the boy's chest and drinks the breath from the lungs sometimes he opens the stomach also smells it enlarges the incision with his hands and seats himself in it then while he macerates the warm entrails in mud he turns half around and looks over his shoulder to contemplate the supreme convulsions the last spasms he himself says afterwards i was happier in the enjoyment of tortures tears fright and blood than in any other pleasure then he becomes weary of these faecal joys an unpublished passage in his trial proceedings informs us that the said sire heated himself with little boys sometimes also with little girls with whom he had congress in the belly saying that he had more pleasure and less pain than acting in nature after which he slowly sores their throats cuts them to pieces 
and the corpses the linen and the clothing are put in the fireplace where a smudge fire of logs and leaves is burning and the ashes are thrown into the latrine or scattered to the winds from the top of a tower or buried in the moats and mounds soon his furies become aggravated until now he has appeased the rage of his senses with living or moribund beings he wearies of stuprating palpitant flesh and becomes a lover of the dead a passionate artist he kisses with cries of enthusiasm the well-made limbs of his victims he establishes sepulchral beauty contests and whichever of the truncated heads receives the prize he raises by the hair and passionately kisses the cold lips vampirism satisfies him for months he pollutes dead children appeasing the fever of his desires in the blood-smeared chill of the tomb he even goes so far one day when his supply of children is exhausted as to disembowel a pregnant woman and sport with the fetus after these excesses he falls into horrible states of coma similar to those heavy lethargies which overpowered sergeant bertrand after his violations of the grave but if that leaden sleep is one of the known phases of ordinary vampirism if gilles de ray was merely a sexual pervert we must admit that he distinguished himself from the most delirious sadists the most exquisite virtuosi in pain and murder by a detail which seems extra-human it is so horrible as these terrifying atrocities these monstrous outrages no longer suffice him he corrodes them with the essence of a rare sin it is no longer the resolute sagacious cruelty of the wild beast playing with the body of a victim his ferocity does not remain merely carnal it becomes spiritual he wishes to make the child suffer both in body and soul by a thoroughly satanic cheat he deceives gratitude dupes affection and desecrates love at a leap he passes the bounds of human infamy and lands plump in the darkest depth of evil he contrives this one of the unfortunate children is brought into his chamber and hanged by briqueville prelati and de Sille, to a hook fixed into the wall just at the moment when the child is suffocating gilles orders him to be taken down and the rope untied with some precaution he takes the child on his knees revives him caresses him rocks him dries his tears and pointing to the accomplices says these men are bad but you see they obey me do not be afraid i will save your life and take you back to your mother and while the little one wild with joy kisses him and at that moment loves him gilles gently makes an incision in the back of the neck rendering the child languishing to follow gilles own expression and when the head not quite detached bows gilles kneads the body turns it about and violates it bellowing after these abominable pastimes he may well believe that the art of the charnelist has beneath his fingers expressed its last drop of pus and in a vaunting cry he says to his troop of parasites there is no man on earth who dare do as i have done but if in love and well-doing the infinite is approachable for certain souls the out-of-the-world possibilities of evil are limited in his excesses of stupration and murder the marshal cannot go beyond a fixed point in vain he may dream of unique violations of more ingenious slow tortures but human imagination has a limit and he has already reached it even passed it with diabolic aid insatiable he seethes there is nothing material in which to express his ideal he can verify that axiom of demonographers that the evil one dupes all persons who give themselves or are willing to give themselves to him as he can descend no further he tries returning on the way by which he has come 
but now remorse overtakes him overwhelms him and wrenches him without respite his nights are nights of expiation besieged by phantoms he howls like a wounded beast he is found rushing along the solitary corridors of the chateau he weeps throws himself on his knees swears to god that he will do penance he promises to found pious institutions he does establish at machecoul a boy's academy in honour of the holy innocents he speaks of shutting himself up in a cloister of going to jerusalem begging his bread on the way but in this fickle and aberrated mind ideas superpose themselves on each other then pass away and those which disappear leave their shadow on those which follow abruptly even while weeping with distress he precipitates himself into new debauches and raving with delirium hurls himself upon the child brought to him gouges out the eyes runs his finger around the bloody milky socket then he seizes a spiked club and crushes the skull and while the gurgling blood runs over him he stands smeared with spattered brains and grinds his teeth and laughs like a hunted beast he flees into the wood while his henchmen remove the crimson stains from the ground and dispose prudently of the corpse and the reeking garments he wanders in the forests surrounding tiffauge dark impenetrable forests like those which Brittany still can show at carnoy he sobs as he walks along he attempts to thrust aside the phantoms which accost him then he looks about him and beholds obscenity in the shapes of the aged trees it seems that nature perverts itself before him that his very presence depraves it for the first time he understands the motionless lubricity of trees he discovers priapi in the branches here a tree appears to him as a living being standing on its root tressed head its limbs waving in the air and spread wide apart subdivided and resubdivided into haunches which again are divided and resubdivided here between two limbs another branch is jammed in a stationary fornication which is reproduced in diminished scale from bough to twig to the top of the tree there it seems the trunk is a phallus which mounts and disappears into a skirt of leaves or which on the contrary issues from a green clout and plunges into the glossy belly of the earth frightful images rise before him he sees the skin of little boys the lucid white skin vellum-like in the pale smooth bark of the slender beeches he recognizes the pachydermatous skin of the beggar boys in the dark and wrinkled envelope of the old oaks beside the bifurcations of the branches there are yawning holes puckered orifices in the bark simulating emunctoria or the protruding anus of a beast in the joints of the branches there are other visions elbows armpits furred with grey lichens even in the trunks there are incisions which spread out into great lips beneath tufts of brown velvety moss everywhere obscene forms rise from the ground and spring disordered into a firmament which satanizes the clouds swell into breasts divide into buttocks bulge as if with fecundity scattering a train of spawn through space they accord with the sombre bulging of the foliage in which now there are only images of giant or dwarf hips feminine triangles great v's mouths of sodom glowing cicatrices humid vents this landscape of abomination changes gilles now sees on the trunks frightful cancers and horrible winds he observes exostoses and ulcers membranous sores tubercular chancres atrocious caries it is an arboreal lazaret a venereal clinic and there at a detour of the forest isle stands a mottled red beech amid the sanguinary falling leaves he feels that he has been spattered by a shower of blood he goes into a rage 
he conceives the delusion that beneath the bark lives a wood nymph and he would feel with his hands the palpitant flesh of the goddess he would trucidate the dryad violate her in a place unknown to the follies of men he is jealous of the woodman who can murder can massacre the trees and he raves tensely he listens and hears in the soughing wind a response to his cries of desire overwhelmed he resumes his walk weeping until he arrives at the chateau and sinks to his bed exhausted an inert mass the phantoms take more definite shape now that he sleeps the lubric enlacements of the branches dilated crevices and cleft mosses the coupling of the diverse beings of the wood disappear the tears of the leaves whipped by the wind are dried the white abscesses of the clouds are resorbed into the grey of the sky and in an awful silence the incubi and succubi pass the corpses of his victims reduced to ashes and scattered return to the lava state and attack his lower parts he writhes with the blood bursting his veins he rebounds in a somersault then he crawls to the crucifix like a wolf on all fours and howling strains his lips to the feet of the christ a sudden reaction overwhelms him he trembles before the image whose convulsed face looks down on him he adjures christ to have pity supplicates him to spare a sinner and sobs and weeps and when incapable of further effort he whimpers he hears terrified in his own voice the lamentations of the children crying for their mothers and pleading for mercy and durtal coming slowly out of the vision he had conjured up closed his notebook and remarked rather petty my own spiritual conflict regarding a woman whose sin like my own to be sure is commonplace and bourgeois End of chapter 11